Okay, so the format will be that um, I'm going to ask Dahlia to go first, and she'll speak for 10 minutes and she'll pose a breakout room question to us. And I'll put us into breakout rooms for 10 minutes, and then we'll come back. And Connie Mary will talk for her 10 minutes, and then she'll pose a question, and we'll go back into breakout groups. Then we'll come back for the big discussion at the end. Okay. So please, Dahlia, unmute yourself and welcome. We're, we're bowing to you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sean. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Can you hear me okay? Yeah? Yes. I want to share stories from the pandemic. This is an unprecedented time. And these two stories are alive to me, but I was worried at first that they were too personal to share in a Dharma talk. This is a growing edge for me. Aren't Dharma, Dharma talks supposed to be about perfection and the holy life? Being human can be messy. I wanna bring the teaching to my life, not consider it as other than or outside my ordinary everyday existence. I'm new at this. These stories are about the impact we have on each other. They're about being human, about humility and kindness, about mistakes, about supporting and nourishing each other as friends. I see a common theme, the slogan, turn all mishaps into the path. So here goes. Remember the news of the first days of shelter in place? People were filling their shopping carts with toilet paper and provisions. Old people were given special consideration, their own lines and special hours. In this me first response, there wasn't going to be anything left for the rest of us. The stores would be empty. Everything was being sold to the hoarders as we were going into lockdown. I thought, let them have it. They're scrambling for food and toilet paper out of fear there isn't going to be enough for everyone. So they're gonna make sure they have what they need for their family. I couldn't participate in this. I'd rather starve. <laughs> I'll get along with what I have. Whatever it is will be enough. I don't know how it was for you, but I seriously believed I was going to starve to death. I stepped back and paused. I disconnected from caring for myself. I froze. Jack had died, I was living alone. I would get rice and beans and I would live on that until it was gone. I can do this. My son, Elan and Jennifer, his partner were concerned. Mom, you can't live on just rice and beans. There will be enough food. You are not going to starve. I wasn't sure. I was in the garden a couple of days later, I looked up. Jennifer was coming through the gate carrying a box of food she'd brought for me from Rainbow Grocery. I burst into tears. It was the kindest thing. This was a turning point, her act of kindness. Another person can be the catalyst for us to step back on the path. I could see myself through her and I saw care. I couldn't give myself. When she showed up with food, I got in touch with self-compassion. Others through their kindness encourage us. 
And likewise, we do this for them. As it turns out, more bounty stepped in to support and nourish that I could have imagined. The federal government funded a program to support restaurants through the pandemic that delivered catered meals to qualifying seniors. Some days I was moved to tears when meals arrived at my door. Then there was protocol for COVID, sanitizing boxes before bringing them inside, hand washing, distancing, not touching, breathing into masks, not sharing food. I was bewildered. I formed a pod with Faye, my dear friend. I couldn't do this without her. Faye and her partner were cautious and strict about masks and distancing. She was doing her best to teach me and coach me to protect myself and her. Then there was what we now call the incident. We were at an ostensibly masked and distanced picnic. Someone unmasked and not distanced offered me an egg salad sandwich torn from hers. Hungry, I accepted what was offered and ate it from her mouth to mine. I have always loved sharing and receiving food as an act of generosity. Faye was watching me. She lost it when I then offered her a bite. She poked her finger in the sandwich, mimicking what I had just done about Den while yelling demonically at me. No, I don't want to eat it. I don't eat it. She was surprised herself. I was shocked. She was yelling at me in front of other people. She we were both offended. We couldn't just sweep it under the rug. We waited a couple of days licking our wounds before we called each other. We wanted to work it out. We could use the skills of nonviolent communication to help us. We understood, the, we understood the premise that feelings connect us with universal needs that are met or not met. All of our actions and words are attempts to meet these life-serving universal needs and values that motivate and sustain us. We decided to meet for a hike. We stopped by a rock on the ridge. We needed to take our time. This was important. We brought out the list we'd brought to each identify our feelings and needs. I was hurt and ashamed that she had yelled at me. I wanted harmony and acceptance. She was upset, shocked that I had accepted and ate the piece of sandwich. She needed safety and reliability. I thought we were done. We had reconnected and come to an understanding. Wait, she said slowly, there is more. She wanted consistency and trust, a shared reality to protect us from COVID. I wanted to matter and belong, but at first I didn't think I could discern right actions. I said I needed her to tell me when I was inappropriate. As I said these words, I saw how unfair this was. I needed to take responsibility for my own behavior. The truth is that we are not separate. We need each other. We rely on each other for everything, for our existence. I was reminded of my marriage vows. As we were getting up from the boulder, we remembered the incident in the park that had upset us both so much. <laughs> we both broke into laughter at its absurdity a shared reality, 
relieved to connect, laughing after this difficult conversation. From anger and pain, something rose in us. We needed to address it. We paused and reflected on it. Leaning into this conflict with curiosity, we came to a deeper intimacy. We had a shared intention to move through it together, to learn from a mistake. There is a growing edge in both these stories, some wisdom through kindness in one and a willingness to learn from difficulty. We take responsibility for our actions for each other. A mishap was turned into the path. Thank you for listening. This has helped me to lean in and step up with you. Beautiful, Dahlia. Thank you. What what question would you like for us? <laughs> uh, the question to consider in dyads is um, during this pandemic, can you share a time when you leaned in and stepped up to practice? What difficult situation was turned into the path? Okay, what what uh, has turned into the path for you? Yeah, I'm going to make small-ish breakout groups. And then for Connie's... Okay, Connie, please unmute yourself. Welcome. Very happy to have you. Okay, can, can you hear me now? Okay. Yes. All right, hello everybody. And thank you and thank you, Jean, for being so inclusive. Uh, so we're, we're all together speaking to each other. Um, I'm, uh, I chose a slogan number 28, abandon hope. Uh, to me, it feels good and brings me relief. When one of my children was a teenager, he had an old clunker car. He found a bumper sticker that said in large letters, exempt, and he stuck it in his car window. And I've always loved that image, exempt. It makes me feel good to believe that I too am exempt from being in charge anyway. Slogan 28 helps me feel more exempt, unfettered, lighter. If I abandon false hope, if I abandon hope that everything will be hunky-dory, there's a whole lot I don't have to worry about, and what a relief. Here's a poem by Ellen Bass. Relax, bad things are going to happen. Your tomatoes will grow a fungus and your cat will get run over. Someone will leave the bag with the ice cream melting in the car and throw your blue cashmere sweater in the dryer. Your husband will sleep with a girl your blouse. Your parents will die. No matter how many vitamins you take, how much Pilates, You'll lose your keys, your hair, and your memory. If your daughter doesn't plug her heart into every live socket she passes, 
You'll come home to find your son has emptied the refrigerator, dragged it to the curb, and called the used appliance store for a pickup for drug money. There's a Buddhist story of a woman chased by a tiger. When she comes to a cliff, she sees a sturdy vine and climbs halfway down. But there's also a tiger below her and two mice, one white, one black, scurry out and begin to gnaw at the vine. At this point, she notices a wild strawberry growing from a crevice. She looks up, down at the mice. Then she eats the strawberry. So here's the view, the breeze, the pulse in your throat. Your wallet will be stolen. You'll get fat, slip on the bathroom tiles of a foreign hotel and crack your hip. You'll be lonely. Oh, taste how sweet and tart the red juice is, how the tiny seeds crunch between your teeth. Thank you, Ellen Bass. Abandon all hope. Isn't it the most natural thing to hope for the best for my depressed child and for that thin three-year-old I saw on the cold cement in the train station in Calcutta, shivering with the chill, looking up at me with his dark eyes. Don't I hope for the best for him? Don't I hope to learn how to become a better person here snug in my little Marin County corner of easy living? Hope is beautiful. Isn't it good, basic to our being human? Yes. And maybe it's ridiculous to hope for any control over anything in my future. Maybe that's as ridiculous as hoping for control over my past. Oh, rewriting my past. What a fun way to spend my time. I think I'll fill my past with a huge supply of chocolate chip cookies and kind, sexy, thin poets who have gorgeous cheekbones and all of us living sustainably in teepees and, and abandon hope. Hope takes up too much space and time in my brain. And what would I rather do with that space and time? Start with what I don't want to put there. What I don't want to put in my brain is a lot of wistful longing for the impossible. Maybe because I've already spent too much time in my life trying to do the impossible rather than enjoying the smell of the damp forest or feeling this moment's cool breath coming in and out. In hippie days, I longed to have long straight blonde hair and a lovely singing voice. And I had curly brown hair and a voice like the croak of a toad. Wistful longing for the impossible, for what can never be given. But don't we want to have joy in life? Rapture? Feel grateful, blessed? Wake up in the morning full of love, ready for the day? Oh, yes, we do. And we could call that faith, energy, love of life, exaltation, gumption. 
I've been fortunate in my mother-in-laws who both had gumption. Some of you knew my second mother-in-law, but this is about my first mother-in-law who was short, roundish, loved chic clothing, hated exercise and was not fit. But she had enough gumption to stand up to any Goliath or fascist who happened to show up. One time when she was in her 60s, she went on a trip to Lebanon that involved riding a horse along a dirt trail up in the mountains. Later, when she was telling me about the trip, she mentioned that at some point she fell off the horse. When I looked horrified at her story and I asked what happened next, she shrugged and said, I just got back on the horse, as if this had been nothing remarkable. Willingness to get back on the horse. Yes, let's have that. Do you remember that old Meg Ryan movie when Harry met Sally? The scene in the restaurant and the woman who rolled her eyes at Meg Ryan and said, I'll have what she's having. <laughs> you remember, let's all have what she's having. Let's celebrate gumption and joy. Here's Rainer Maria Rilke writing advice to a younger man. Be patient toward all that is unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves, like locked rooms, like books that are written in a foreign tongue. Do not now seek the answers, which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything. Live the questions now. Perhaps you will then gradually, without noticing it, live through some distant day into the answer. There are moments when something new has entered into us. Everything in us withdraws, a stillness comes, and the new, which no one knows, stands in the middle of it and is silent. Thank you. Mm -hmm.